tools for living, room to grow, a space of grace to become everything God wants us to be. You're listening to The Living Room Podcast with Joanna Weaver, episode 124. You know, there are few things in life that are more inspiring than talking to someone who has really walked through the fire, who's gone through more than their share of suffering and pain, and yet still love the Lord deeply and passionately. Michelle Couchette is one of those people, and I always love talking with her. I know you're going to be blessed by the nuggets of gold she shares in this powerful interview. Oh my goodness, one of my very favorite people of all times back in the living room. Welcome, Michelle Couchette. Yay! I'm so excited to be here. But people don't know is we've already spent like a lot of minutes just <laughs> talking nonstop. <laughs> I know so much to catch up on. I love your heart so much. And I am so excited about this new book, A Faith That Will Not Fail. 10 Practices to Build Up Your Faith When Your World is Falling Apart. And oh my goodness, I there are so many people that are right here. This is what's happening. And we need, we need, I, I've just been even just asking the Lord, Lord, we, we need a refresher oh, on our yes. theology because the theology we've had is not going to stand the test of trials and what could be around the corner. So I, I can't wait to just talk about the 10 practices to build up your faith. But I, I know a lot of people maybe are completely familiar with your story. We've got two other podcast interviews that I'll link in the show notes. Um, but maybe just a little refresher for those who don't know your story. So uh, I, I was raised in the Christian background. My parents came to faith when I was a baby. And so even though they were brand new Christians, I've really never known life without Jesus in it. So um, that's just been kind of part of my fabric as much as my DNA. <laughs> it's just been a part of who I am. However, I would say that that faith was relatively innocent and untested until I hit my 20s. And as a result, because it was somewhat immature, it was also, unfortunately, formulaic mm. and uh, more workspace, righteousness-based salvation. In other words, I was a really, really good Christian girl. And so then as a result, I believe God was on the hook to give me a really good life. Right. Uh, and that worked until it didn't work. And <laughs> it started basically in my 20s and from my early 20s until now, so about three decades uh, I have faced a series of unrelenting consecutive losses that have caused uh, such a significant and prolonged suffering that it, uh, in many ways, completely dismantled my formulaic faith and forced me to wrestle with really some very basic questions about belief. And those basic questions are, is God real? I mean, it doesn't get more basic than that. Is right. God real? If he's real, is he good? And if he's good, can I trust him? Yeah. And those are not easy questions. And in some places, some Christian circles, we actually are told that it's bad to even ask those questions, that mm. somehow even toying with those questions is an evidence of a lack of faith or a lack of a good heart or whatever. And so for the last 30 years, that's been the journey. Now, some of the 
difficult things I've endured and we don't have time to go into all of it. So I'm just going to briefly touch on that. But uh, I was married to a pastor in full-time ministry and unexpectedly after my first son was born, he was one and a half. I watched my pastor husband drive away for the last time and I became a divorced single mom. Mm. In the 90s, when divorce was the worst thing you could do in the evangelical church, it was just like, you know, it was an awful thing. And I thought, you know, basically, I thought I had no place in God's kingdom as a result of mm. being divorced. Wrestled through that season, learned a lot, kind of propped myself back up on my feet, pressed forward, met a man, got remarried, had a blended family. He had two sons. I had one. We threw everybody together in one household and expected everything to go well. <laughs> <laughs> Went through the whole adventure that's called blended step family. And let me tell you, for those who are out there, that's not easy. That's its own podcast. After that, um, I thought we had turned a corner and I uh, got a phone call from a doctor. I was 39 years old. My boys had just gone to school. And that day I found out I had uh, cancer, squamous cell carcinoma of the tongue, which is basically cancer of the tongue. So it's a head and neck cancer. There was a sore on the side of my tongue that wouldn't heal. As a result, um, I entered this world of um, cancer uh, mm. survivors uh, who are living with a cancer diagnosis. That initial diagnosis was a best case scenario, but unfortunately it wasn't to be the end of the story. Over the 10 years that followed, actually over the five years that followed, that cancer would come back two more times. Mm. I'd have it three times in total. And the final cancer diagnosis was uh, so aggressive and advanced that they basically gave me about two weeks to get my affairs in order, at which point in time they put me in the hospital for a nine-hour surgery where they removed two-thirds of my tongue, um, about a dozen lymph nodes, my submandibular gland, um, cut open my arm and my neck to kind of take blood vessel and tissues to rebuild my mouth and face. Um, cut open my leg to rebuild my arm. I was like Humpty Dumpty. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was just cut all over the place. After I was in the ICU and they gave me about four weeks to recover from that surgery, which was brutal. They then started doing external radiation and chemotherapy. And so, you know, without unpacking that whole thing, when you start shooting radiation uh, from your nose to your chest, the consequences of that is extreme. So by the time all was said and done, I basically had like third degree burns from my nose to my chest. Uh, I had all these incisions and stitches and scars everywhere. And then I had a tracheostomy for two months to keep me from choking, to help me breathe. And a feeding tube for six months where I took in all my water and food through a feeding tube. And um, literally, I was on the brink of death. I lost like 50 pounds. Um, with skin and bones, uh, I look like a skeleton. And it, it took two years after that to start to come back to some measure of functional living. Uh, that said, uh, I would never be the same again. As you can hear in my voice, with my speech disability, talking, eating, swallowing, Drinking is very difficult for me, uh, and I live with a chronic level of pain all the time and even diminishing uh, functionality, so increasing disability and deformity as I get older. And so that's my reality. And then 
behind all of that <laughs> are <laughs> other struggles I don't even talk about publicly, the private things that aren't for the public consumption and really, really ugly, hard stuff. We foster adopted three more children. We've had other personal things that we've dealt with. So all that to say, when I say it's been 30 years of suffering, I, I'm not joking, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, it's been, um, it's been a lot. And so through that journey, I've had to wrestle with what I believe about is God real? Is yeah. he good? And can I trust him? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I want to come back to that whole um, thing about formula Christianity. Yes. Because I I really think that when we strip away some of the things that we believe and some of the things that we struggle with and the, some of the things that undermine our faith in God, it really does mm-hmm. come down to this idea, but God, I did this, mm-hmm. so you should have done that. And, and so then how, how do we, how do we navigate the dissonance, you know, the competing Mm -hmm. ideas? Can I believe that God is good and yet life is hard and that one doesn't cancel the other? Yes. Can they be simultaneous? Can they coexist? Right. And that's the tension. Uh, And, you know, I think that's where we end up wrestling. Like, for example, I'll be very transparent. We foster adopted these three young kiddos. They were preschoolers at the time, uh, twins, boy, girl, and a girl when they were four and five, four, four and five. And that adoption happened after, right after my first diagnosis, about 10 months or so after that first diagnosis. So when my second diagnosis came, guess what I thought? But God, I'm doing this good work here. These kids have already been through so much. Why would you let me get sick again? Mm. You know, they've already gone through so much. They've already lost other family members. Why would you let me get, I mean, I really thought cancer's in the past. I'm doing this good, worthy work. The kids have already been through so much. Surely God wouldn't let more suffering happen. And it did. And so, you know, I think behind all that, let's talk about that. I think we want things to make sense. Yeah. Uh, We want things to um, be orderly and predictable and to follow a pattern and to make sense. And we assume that our perspective, what we can see and feel and touch and know is the sum total of knowledge, right? We think that we know everything. And so when things don't make sense, then something must be wrong. And behind that though is a, and forgive me for stepping on my own toes as well as yours, a bit of arrogance that we know more than we think we do, or we know more than we actually Mm. do, right? We think we know everything. And so that's when we get angry with God, because we believe that what we see and know is the ultimate and that he's obviously falling down on the job. Um, What we, what the challenges and where our growth edge is, is understanding that God is beyond our ability to comprehend. Yeah. Right? The very existence, his very nature is one of mystery and magnitude, something that the human brain cannot wrap itself around by definition. And so our challenge isn't necessarily in making sense of things, but learning to be comfortable with the lack of sense. Yeah. Yeah learning to embrace the mystery. And this is one thing I, I, I remind myself of, but challenge others with all the time. Do we really, you know, we say we want a God that, you know, that we can make sense of, but 
if we could completely wrap our brains around him, would he be a big enough guide for us? Mm-hmm. Or would he just be another human? Right? Right. And so at some level, we actually deep down want a God that we can't comprehend because only then will he be big enough, powerful enough, have the magnitude to reconcile this world that's going off the rails. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think I think there are so many facets to it. You know, the fact that we were meant mm-hmm. for a perfect world, but our sin changed all of that. Evil entered the world. And so now we're living mm-hmm. in a fallen, broken world. Uh, and yet God is still wanting to meet us there. And, you know, I find it so interesting because, you know, Job's interaction with God God could have said, okay, Job, I've heard all your questions. Let me tell you what's really going on. Let me explain the story. Yeah. You see, there was Satan's really trying to destroy you, and I'm allowing it because I know there's something powerful within you. But he doesn't. He doesn't doesn't defend himself. He doesn't explain the mystery. But he does reveal himself. He does. you know, I think that that's sometimes the hardest when we're walking through those really difficult times and we're wanting a faith that won't fail. Mm-hmm. But sometimes God feels hidden. Sometimes we can't see him and we've cried out and we've cried out and we still, unlike Job, we have not yet had our answer. Mm-hmm. How have you navigated those kind of times in your life? Oh, in very ugly form. <laughs> I mean, the process is not pretty. I mean, let's just be clear. It's not pretty. It's it's a lot of weeping and crying and lamenting and wrestling and questioning and all of that. But that too, I think, is part of the process. And I think that too is part of worship. You know, God made us as thinking humans. Mm. I, I've listened to Tim Keller do so many sermons where he talks about God made you a thinking human, right? Allow yourself to think and to wrestle and to process and all of that. If I believe that God is, um, real and good, right? And if I believe he wants to be known by me and that he will be found by me, like Jeremiah says, then allowing myself to wrestle is it's not going to lead me to a place where he doesn't exist. It's actually going to lead me closer to him. I may not get answers, but I will get him. And that's the better gift, Mm. right? I love that. I don't have any answers as to why I've had to have so much suffering. I mean, I've been following Jesus my whole life. I've loved him with my whole heart. I have, you know, I was kind of a strange child where I wanted God so desperately. I wanted him so much. Why would he allow so much pain in my life? And I even feel a lump Mm. in my throat. I still wrestle with that at times. But I can tell you, I remember... I remember uh, multiple days, but one in particular uh, in my 30s, I think it was my 30s, where I was studying the life of Moses. And I remember getting to the end of Deuteronomy where it talked about never before or after did any man, was there a prophet like Moses who talked to God face to face like a man talks with a friend. And I remember telling God, I want that. I want that. I want that. I want, I want to be the kind of woman who can talk to you, God, like a friend. I want that. And here Mm. sitting as a 52 year old woman who's gone through way too much pain and suffering. 
I can tell you that he's delivered that. I feel like I get to talk to him as a friend. Mm. And I feel like he has been, I don't feel him every day. In fact, it's, <laughs> my, my supernatural experiences with God are really limited, okay? But I do feel like he is more of a friend today than he was to that woman who was 30. Yes. And the mechanism of that kind of intimacy was actually the pain and suffering. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And the ugly process. <laughs> and so I wish I could give everybody like a one, two, three step process, but sometimes that process is simply walking out the life you've been given and keeping your eyes on Jesus. Mm. I, you know, it's yes. not any more glamorous than that. It's just messy and, and quite honestly, there were years that I wasn't even walking. He was just carrying me. Hmm. I had no ability to reach for him. And and all I can say is by a miracle of grace and the fact that God is out of his mind crazy about me, which I can't explain because I'm a hot mess. I'm a, I'm high maintenance, <laughs> a difficult me woman. Too. And yet he's crazy about me that he saw something worth fighting for. Yes. And worth wrestling. And the truth is, he feels that way about every single person who's listening. Every single one. Absolutely. Um, what a relief, right? Amen. Well, it really is the good news of the gospel. It is. 100%. It really is the good news. And I think somewhere along my Christianity, I did come, I really thought, you know, I do A, I do B, then C will be the result. But I like what uh, Samuel Rutherford said back in like 13, 1400. He said, uh, I thought it to be an easy road, but oh, the winding, twisting ways he's taken yes, me on. Exactly. And- <laughs> It is. And that's the great adventure. But I can say with you, it hasn't been the Mm -mm. easy times. It hasn't been those Holy Spirit goosebumps and those wonderful mountaintop times that have really anchored my heart to Him. It has been times of suffering, though my suffering has not been you know, as like, I, sometimes I feel like I shouldn't even call it suffering when I think of the things that you've gone through and some of the things that our listeners have gone through. But I found this pain is relative. And if it's my pain, it's relatively painful. I would say pain is pain. I mean, regardless of whether it's a splinter in your tiny little finger or radiation, it's painful and it causes you distress and, and it's all valid, right? Yeah. Uh, and, Absolutely. but it's also, you know, C.S. Lewis said that pain is, you know, the megaphone to rouse a, uh, a deaf world that God uses pain. Now, you know, there's all kinds of questions about, does he cause the pain and all that kind of stuff? That's beyond my pay grade. I, <laughs> I don't, that's somewhat of a mystery right. to me. I mean, in Jesus's case, he intentionally led Jesus to death for our salvation. Mm-hmm. So in that case, he was the orchestrator of pain right. that was needed for our rescue. But for me, I don't think he caused my cancer. But boy, he didn't waste it. Right. Amen. That's it. That is so it. And we were talking before we came on, you know, we're such black and white thinkers. And I've really been thinking that in my own heart, like, I tend to be kind of childish in my approach to life. It's black and white. You said I could have a candy bar, Uh mom. I want it now. (laughs) You know, I'm a toddler. And if you tell me something, then I think that it has to happen right now. 
where as we grow and mature in the Lord and we develop that those higher forms of thinking, a little bit more ability to consider the abstract, we can we can see, okay, I don't understand how, mm-hmm. but you are good, even though life is hard. And and it doesn't have to, one doesn't cancel out the other. I, I appreciate it because you talk about 10 practices in this book, and it's very devotional, which I love, because it's like very, you can take one piece at a time and just live in it. That was actually my goal. So I love hearing that because when we talk about faith and suffering, these are very complex theological conundrums that people far smarter than me have been wrestling with, wrestling through throughout centuries, right? Okay. But what I hope to do is take these very complex theological truths and put them in bite-sized accessible servings for the person that's in the fire themselves, right? Just by, because when we're in the fire, we can't read a commentary necessarily. (laughs) We just need, help me, just help me to have some bit of truth to hang on to. And that is really why it's, it's rich, but it's very bite-sized and accessible because that's what we need. We need a lifeline when we're suffering. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you you give us that five-minute faith builder at the end to kind of activate what we've been reading. But the first section is mm-hmm. the practice of lament. And to be honest, I was raised in the church, but I don't think I ever heard about lament until the last 10 years. And and it is, but it's through scripture, you know, it's there. Can you kind of unpack that? Because I think, again, like our formula, Christianity says, I can't complain. I can't, I can't, I need to just toughen up. I need to have faith either like being complete denial that I'm sick and just only speak life and only, you uh-huh. know, the words that I need to say. And so we almost live we live these half-lives because we kind of have this idea either some I must be doing it wrong or maybe something's wrong with God rather than letting, just being honest. Yeah, telling the truth. So can you kind of unpack lament for us? Yeah, lament very simply is the vocalization of grief. Okay, so it is simply mm-hmm. telling the truth about our pain, whatever our pain is. So it doesn't matter It doesn't have to be a certain level (laughs) to tell the truth, whatever your pain is, telling the truth about it. And you, you know, like you, I was raised in a church. I don't recall ever hearing a sermon on lament, nor do I ever recall any kind of communal um, public practice of lament within the church, which is so interesting because the ancient church, you know, the the history of the church throughout the Bible, lament was a regular practice of the Jewish faith, right? It was something that was part of what they Mm. did. So it's very interesting that we've completely lost that in modern times. Um, But it's simply the vocalization of grief. So telling the truth about your current reality, about your pain. The reason it's important, first of all, is because it's true and it's impacting you whether you tell about it or not. Okay. Yeah. And we are not so good at hiding our grief. I mean, we just aren't. It comes out sideways, right? I think part of the reason that our our world is so angry right now is that actually underneath all that anger is grief that we've never given voice to. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I see anger everywhere. We see it in the vitriol online. We see it. I see it at the airport. Every time I travel, I see it at the grocery store. I mean, everybody's so angry. And I think underneath that more than anything is grief that we've not processed. Um, mm-hmm. And so we need to lament. We need to admit that this is not the way it's supposed to be. Um, having cancer three times and having a body that's disfigured this is not okay. This is not the way it was meant to be. Yeah. Um, pain, constant, constant pain is not a good thing. And I need to some days tell the truth about that. But the difference between lament and complaining is we vocalize it, but we take it to God himself. Okay. So we actually offer our grief. We tell the truth about our grief to the only one that has the ability to do anything about it. Right. Okay. And we can do that corporately. We can do that in a small group. We can do that with a friend. We can do that in prayer. We can do it multiple different ways. But that's what we do. Now, the challenge for us as Christians, or I think where we can grow is lamenting. So we tell the truth about our current reality, but then we also never lose sight of our future promise, right? Current reality, future Mm. promise. Yes. Okay. That yes, this is painful. Yes, you know, for those who have lost a child or just buried a spouse or have never experienced marriage, who's an unwanted single person or somebody who has been without a job or whatever it is, this is our current reality. But we we must never lose sight of the fact that our promised land is coming, that God has promised redemption. It may or may not happen in this life, but it's coming. Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Orphan is not our final title. Mm, That's so good. He is coming to rescue, redeem, and make us, you know, basically heirs, right? Heirs of the promise of God, co-heirs with him in heaven. That is the promise. And when we hold those two in tension, when we hold our current grief but our promised redemption intention, that's how we walk out this life. That's what makes us different from the rest of the world. Mm. That's it. That's it. It's yeah. that blessed hope. It's that this isn't the end of the story. This not is it. not the final verdict. And there is this eternity mm-hmm. to come. You know, I keep going, oh, this is everything. This is, this is not fair. Yeah, this little blip. But it's so hard to wrap our head around it. And I just appreciate that you kind of just help us kind of look at that through the 10 practices of lament, the practice of worship, the practice of humility, the practice of relinquishment. Let's talk about worship and humility really quick, because, you know, we use those phrases in church lingo at times talking about going to worship service on Sunday, whatever. But what worship really is, is putting ourselves or reminding ourselves of the magnitude and mystery of God. We lose that, right? And that's why we get angry at him. So worship is intentionally reminding ourselves of the worth of God. The worth of God. That actually helps us have a faith that will not fail when we start to see him in his bigness, <laughs> right? Then humility is about putting ourselves. So we put God in the right place. Humility is about us adopting the right posture. Mm, so good. Right? Boy, there's a shortage of humility in our current society, don't you think? Right? 
Mm. We are so entitled. Well, right? yeah. And we are so, our celebrity culture, everything else, we really are all about our own advancement. However, that will put you in the position of being highly disillusioned with life, with your relationships, with God, mm. with everything else, if you think you're all that. Right. Humility is putting ourselves in the right posture before a God who is worth worshiping. And that is the right orientation mm. for us to actually be able to walk out suffering. That's so good. Coming to him in honesty mm-hmm. with the honest lament, but then declaring his worthship, mm-hmm. his worth, and then just humbly. And, and I think even in our humility of understanding who he is, if we can grasp that, it really opens our eyes to our worth as well. Exactly. Humility is not humiliation. Right. Humiliation is willingly placing yourself under the covering of someone who is so worthy. Mm, that's so good. And boy, that's a comforting. Like I sit there and think when I am sick or when I'm cold or when I don't feel well, nothing feels better than to subject myself underneath a perfect blanket, right? Yeah. It's a covering. It's, it's a haven. Yeah. It's safety. That's what true humility mm. is, is sitting there going, God, you are so worthy. And besides all that, you're crazy about me. Oh, who am I? And you just <laughs> put yourself under the yeah. covering of his mercy and his grace and his love and his holiness. And that is the safest place to be. That's what humility looks mm. like. Understanding we don't deserve any of it and we've received it anyway. Right. That's it. That's it. And it is not, it is not altered or changed by what we're currently going through. And I think that's where the enemy loves to just twist everything and say, if you were really loved, if you were really cherished, you wouldn't be going through this. But again, that comes down to an inadequate theology because we're, we're not looking at the whole counsel of the word of God. Exactly. All you have to do, and I, this has become one of my favorite sections of scripture is Romans 8. And N.T. Wright just came out with a new book on uh, Romans 8. That is not a paid advertisement, but he did. All on Romans 8. But you get to the end of Romans 8, and it's, it's really the gospel in summation. What can separate you from the love of God? So trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It's all about love, for I'm convinced neither death nor life, neither present, neither future, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. So basically, he's covering every suffering known to man, every bit of it, physical, emotional, mental, all of it. Mm. Nothing else in all creation Mm. will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Love. All about love. It really is. I, I had another guest point out that the start of Romans 8 is no condemnation and the end is no separation. I mean, he has us covered. There you go. Yeah, it's completely covered. And it's so interesting that Paul understood that it's our sufferings that make us feel like we've lost the love of God. And so he makes sure that it's mm. in black and white. Talk about black and white, people who need black and white. It's in black and white. Yes. Nothing, no pain you're enduring means that God is pulled his love away from you. Oh my goodness. We could talk about each one of these. You you have the practice of rel- relinquishment, the practice of contentment, 
the practice of shalom, peace, practice of forgiveness, the practice of perspective, the practice of connection, and then the practice of waiting, which is that eternal reward. I would love to dive into each one, but what is the practice that has really shifted things for you? Well, quite frankly, I refuse to put any practice in a book that didn't make a difference for me. So there's a lot of spiritual practices out there, but if it didn't work for me, if it didn't actually minister to me when I was in the depths of the pits, then it didn't get included in the book because I wanted to be credible and authentic about what I presented here. This is not This is not pretend. This is real for me. (laughs) This is life or death. Yeah. It's been road tested. (laughs) Yes. And so all of them have at some measure, and that's how they ended up in the book. Um, The ones that have been truly life-changing for me, I would say, are... um, Oh, gosh. It's so hard. It's like trying to pick a favorite kid. Um, Lament is one of the big ones, because I was raised Mm -hmm. like you, thinking that uh, if I was sad and didn't talk about how God is good all the time and didn't smile all the time that I was lacking faith. And I've come to learn that that's a load of garbage. That's just not true. That I can grieve and still be full Mm -hmm. of faith all at the same time. Uh, So that one, and I would say, um, I'll just say waiting. Let's do the bookends, the practice of waiting. Um, Because I'm still living with a body that's not been fully healed. Uh, And even though I'm cancer free at the moment, I carry around the scars of cancer every day and I have to navigate them every day and it's not easy. Uh, And the reality is, Mm -hmm. is barring some kind of true divine intervention, I'm going to go to my grave with a very broken body. I remember reading, and we talked about this earlier, but I remember reading 1 Peter 5, where it talked about, um, Peter talked about, and by the way, I love that Peter wrote about suffering in his final letters, right? He wrote about suffering because he understood finally. And he said, you know, even if you have suffered for a little while, God himself will restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. And when I read that, Peter said, after you have suffered for a little while. So in my mind, I immediately started to assign a timeline to that, that it's going to be a couple months. If I just pray in a couple months, God's going to restore me and solve this situation. Or in, okay, maybe it will take a year. Okay, fine, God, if it takes a year, I can hang in there. But that God's going to heal or restore or redeem whatever it was I was praying for. I now realize that when yet yeah, Peter wasn't even talking about this lifetime. This lifetime is for a little while. Mm-hmm. And for you and I, right. we're not going to, not all of us are going to get the resolution, are going to get the healing, are going to get right. the answered prayer in this lifetime. But after a little while, someday, mm-hmm. when Jesus comes and looks me in the eye and takes my hand and takes me home, he himself will restore me and make me strong, firm, and steadfast. That is coming. But that's the (sighs) practice of waiting, is seeing things in this long Hmm. view versus the short view, that my life is not, you know, my life is the sum total of that little while. And I may may carry these wounds until the day I meet Jesus, but he's going to do it. He's going to restore me and make me strong, firm, and steadfast. Hmm. I love that. And in the meantime, he promises us to help keep us from stumbling and to to present us faultless. Dude, I love that. Faultless, yep. 
With joy. Yeah, with joy. And so we're living in this tension of the not yet, you know, and yet everything, and this is what I've just been trying to really meditate on. And yet everything I need pertaining Mm -hmm. to life and godliness has been provided. So Lord, how do I access that? How do I access that in the middle Mm -hmm. of disappointment, in the middle of chronic pain? And I love that your devotional is just a really beautiful companion to even maybe just start an honest conversation because there's maybe some people out there that really haven't known how to get honest, or maybe they've thrown their questions at God and kind of ran away. And I think that that's the challenge is God can handle our questions, but we need to be careful how we handle them so they they don't form a wedge, but they actually push us closer to Him. I, you know, I, I, I look back on my younger self and, you know, I think we all do this. We look at our younger self and we're like, oh, bless her heart. <laughs> She was such a sweetheart. Bless her. She was trying. (laughs) But I look back and I think, you know, how many times I tried to be this upbeat, positive Christian because I thought that was going to win people to Christ. But I've actually found is I've been willing to tell the truth about my Christian journey, including the dark and the ugly and the wrestling. That has been a much more winsome way to win people over to faith, right? Telling the truth, being able yeah. to lament, being able to struggle and wrestle. And what if you and I started being those kind of people who to mm-hmm. who walk out our faith without projecting a perfect exterior, but instead just tell the truth about the struggle and say, and yet my Redeemer lives. I trust him. I believe him. That's it. He's coming for me. That's and I, I'm crying today, but mm-hmm. someday he's collecting all those tears and someday he's going to redeem every single yeah. one of them. And I believe that. Wow. Amen. Amen. Oh, this has been so rich, Michelle. So rich. And I just sense that there are some listeners out there mm-hmm. that really needed to hear that today. Really needed to hear that today. Because I think we have this idea that we must be doing it wrong or we wouldn't be in this situation. Or maybe God has forgotten us because why Why would He allow us to suffer? And, and to understand that we can meet Him, that there is a sweet fellowship in the middle yes. of our questions that is available. And I would just love to have you pray over us all as we close. Yes. Oh, my pleasure. Oh, Father God, what a uh, extraordinary miracle you've wrought in my life by, um, one, just uh, choosing me as your own, by just seeing me and loving me and rescuing me. But the way that you have so faithfully um, shown me your face in suffering has been a gift. Not always, (laughs) did not always feel it or see it, but you've done it. And I believe you will continue to do it. What I'm praying for right now is the person who's listening right now that just can't see your face, God. I am I am praying, God, that wherever they sit right now, whatever their struggle, whatever their pain or their grief, that somehow, in some way, God, that you would use these moments to reassure them of your faithfulness, Mm. that your faithfulness is not dependent on their character or their behavior, but yours. 
that you have not left them, that you have not abandoned them, mm-hmm. that you are still the same God you were yesterday, you are the same God today, and you will be the same God tomorrow, and that you oper- operate from a, a core, a center of love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. God, I pray that as they're sitting, those who are listening, those who are really, really struggling, that not only would they be reassured of your faithfulness, but that they would also somehow gain a bit of a perspective of the the long story, the big story, the narrative that you're working out over all time, and that you would give them just a glimpse of your promised redemption to come. Hmm. Mm-hmm. More than anything, God, I pray for all of us, uh, like Romans 8 said, that we would know without a shadow of a doubt that you would plant down deep within us a confidence, a sureness, a solidness that nothing can separate us from your yeah. world. And that that would be the guiding message through all of our sufferings, that we would not lose sight of that. God, we do not deserve you. We do not deserve your grace or your rescue or your love. And yet you have poured out on us abundantly, more than we could ask or imagine. And we receive it and we swim in it and help us Mm -hmm. live from that oceanic grace and love on the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. No matter what you're going through right now, my friend, I want to remind you, There are treasures hidden in your darkness. And if you'll just keep holding tight to Jesus's hand, he's not only going to bring you through your difficult circumstance, he's going to bring you out of the darkness laden with gold. You can find links to Michelle's book and other powerful resources in the show notes. And if you're looking for a Bible study to do as a group, Michelle has some powerful studies available at her website, Michelle Couchette, that's 1L, Michelle C-U-S-H-A-T-T dot com. But hey, I hope you'll consider checking out my 10-week video study as well. If you want the deep security that's found in trusting God, well, embracing trust is a good place to start. For as we keep our hearts focused on Jesus, trusting Him when trust just doesn't make sense, God helps us build a faith that will not fail so that we live and love and lead like Him. See you next time, my friend.